Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with the permission of the Worcester News, and recorded here at Colin Chance House, Worcester, on Thursday the 3rd of March. I'm Moira, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles are Sandra and Penny. Our sound engineer is Alex, and our admin is Carol. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, birthdays and thought for the week. Obituaries now come at the end of the closing music. The recordings are available on podcast, but at present talking books are not available on memory sticks, but on CDs and tapes. Do let us know your birthday so that we can greet you when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone that's Worcester 767766, or you can add a note to your wallet. We ask listeners that if there's any problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, then please use the answer phone on our number and leave us a message. Okay, so let's do the birthdays for this week. So, we have, on the 13th, Raymond Gerard, and the 18th, Peggy Chubb. So, happy birthday to both of you. So, now let's have some useful telephone numbers. The out-of-hours medical help, which are 6 till 8pm, is 0300 123-3211. The NHS non-emergency number is 111. Worcester Live, Swan Theatre, Huntington Hall and Henry Sandon Hall is Worcester 611427. Malvern Theatre is 01684 Worcester Hub is Worcester 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers is 0800-555-111 and the Samaritans is a free phone number which is 116123. And just a reminder again that as per listeners' requests, the obituaries are now after the closing music. And now here's Penny with our thought for the week. The thought for the week is taken from Mark chapter 10, verses 43 to 45. Jesus said, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, thank you very much. And now we'll start on the headlines, and here's Sandra. On Friday, February the 25th, the headline was Drug Dealer Needed His Mum in Court. A drug dealer who needed his mum beside him in court after plying his trade in death on the doorstep of Worcester Cathedral has been jailed. 
Jacob Seeley was jailed for four and a half years for a County Lines franchise selling crack selling crack cocaine and heroin in Worcester when he appeared at the city's Crown Court. The 23-year-old displayed bizarre behaviour in the dock, wiping the glass with his sleeve, turning his back to the judge and peering down the stairs towards the cells. Sometimes he held his head in his hands and at other times drummed his fingers on the glass or clapped his hands during the lengthy sentencing hearing before Judge Nicholas Cartwright. The judge later told him, drug use brings unhappiness, misery, health problems and sometimes death to the users. Previously, Seeley had been able to sit with his mum in court and he did not have to go in the dock, but this time she had to make do with sitting at the back of the court. Usually, family members have to sit in the public gallery above the court. Seely admitted conspiracy to supply crack cocaine and heroin between July the 12th and 24th, 2018. The court heard how Seely and other younger members of the group had been bringing drugs to Worcester from Coventry and selling them to users, sometimes travelling back to Coventry to restock. The defendant also admitted being in possession of diamorphine heroin, a Class A drug with intent to supply in Northumberland Road, Coventry on February the 1st, 2017. He was found with 29 wraps of heroin and two mobile phones after running from police. He'd been on bail for that offence when he started dealing in Worcester. Siobhan Collins, prosecuting, said Seeley's fingerprints were found on a bag containing more than 90 wraps of Class A drugs seized near Worcester Cathedral. Later analysis of the defendant's phone showed drug users stored under the prefix W, which the prosecution said was an abbreviation for white, a name for crack cocaine. Mrs Collins described undercover surveillance which recorded the movements of the defendants back and forth between Worcester and Coventry as part of the county line's operation. Both the Premier Inn and the Travel Lodge in Worcester were used. Incoming messages to Seeley's phone also revealed drugs activity. One user texted, Mate, I have been waiting over 20 minutes. Another message read, you on, a common term asking if drugs are available, Mrs Collins said. Another read, one of each, a short form for asking for both cocaine and heroin. Other messages complained about the size of the deals on offer. A message from Seely himself to his runners read, mash them sales. One drugs message read, go cathedral. Police arrested one of Seeley's runners as he left the travel lodge in Cathedral Square and walked over towards college precincts, towards the alley. In total, officers seized from him, as he was counting cash, 99 wraps of crack cocaine and 46 of heroin. The defendants, Seeley's fingerprints, were on the bag containing the bulk of the drugs, said Mrs Collins. Although Seeley of March Way Coventry was not arrested outside the cathedral, police pulled him over in a Chevrolet where he was found to have £660 in cash behind the driver's sun visor. Seeley tried to claim he had just offered the other two dealers, found in the car, a lift, denied any involvement in possession of drugs with intent and said the money was from a car he had sold. Judge Nicholas Cartwright said, Jay, it was a well-organised 
sophisticated and mature operation. Seeley had been granted bail at Warwick Crown Court. Judge Cartwright said Seeley, instead of taking the chance then offered to him, decided not to do that and double down on your criminality by running what can properly be described as a Class A dealing franchise out of Coventry into the county of Worcestershire. The judge ordered the forfeiture and destruction of the drugs and the seizure of the £660 in criminal cash. The headline for the weekend edition for Saturday and Sunday reads Camera Trap. Late-night attempts to try handles as car scourge hits area again. There's a feature of a, a photograph showing somebody trying the car doors. Trying cars on camera. New footage has emerged of suspected offenders walking around a city street and trying car door handles. Jonathan Coughlin's ring doorbell footage shows two men trying vehicles parked on driveways of properties in Cobden Avenue, Warnden Villages, at 3am on Monday. After trying the cars on one side of the road, the men appear to brazenly cross the road and try doors on the other side, before they realise none of them are unlocked and the pair walk around. The two appear to be wearing grey coloured tops and trousers, one also wearing white trainers and a hoodie. We reported earlier this week that police investigating the car crime waves at the estate had arrested a man who tried to run from them when they were out on patrol that morning. The police said Patrol Team A were conducting a proactive operation overnight. In the early hours of Monday, and a male has been arrested, having been found in Warnden Villages, We arrested the male who fled and attempted to hide. However, his hide-and-seek skills were lacking and he was detained and found in possession of a number of items believed to be stolen from the vehicles. We would like to ask residents in the Dugdale Drive area to check their vehicles and ensure that any stolen items are reported to West Mercia Police so we can ensure we add these to our inquiries. Quoting 0004... Zero I. Among the items recovered by police were a Garmin sat-nav, phones, bags and sunglasses and police added that they were sharing images to find the rightful owners. Andy Roberts, Worcestershire County Councillor for Warnden, said One up to the good guys, though the fight goes on. Anyone who has footage of an offence is asked to pass it to the police by emailing Warnden dot snt at westmercia dot pnn dot police dot uk villagers who have sent in footage are also being issued with a statement from west mercia police which says we believe that multiple persons are carrying out these offences from the images we have received during the hours of darkness all over the worcester area our best advice is to lock all doors and never leave anything on show in your motor vehicle Okay, my headline is from Monday, February the 28th. Um, Cleaners assaulted in club raid. A burglar launched a raid for booze at Sin nightclub, assaulting two cleaning ladies as he made his escape. 
Thomas Grzowski, who accepts he is an alcoholic after once serving in the military in Poland, was equipped with screwdrivers when he carried out the burglary at the popular club in New Street, Worcester. Appearing over video link from HMP Huell, the 44-year-old of no fixed address was captured on CCTV using a bottle bin to climb over a gate and later using a credit card to slip a lock on a double door at around 5am on November the 21st. Details of the hearing were relayed to him via a Polish interpreter who also appeared over a live link. The defendant was also convicted of handling a stolen Xbox games console on September the 21st. There was some debate about whether the defendant came with the screwdrivers or found them at the premises, but upon viewing the CCTV himself, Judge Nicholas Cartwright said he could make out a narrow blade, flathead screwdriver as he entered the premises. Judith Kenny, defending, said the ruling that her client was equipped made the burglary more serious within the sentencing guidelines. He accepts that those assaults on the ladies, as the cleaning ladies inside the premises, is an aggravating feature of the burglary. It's important to note that certainly he apologised in interview to both the ladies, said Mrs Kenny. The solicitor asked the judge to take into account that the injuries sustained to the women were as a consequence of him trying to escape from the premises before police arrived. He was described as pushing them to get out of the door. Bottles and spirits were selected from the bar area, but not taken, said Mrs Kenny. Grzowski had a previous conviction for burglary from 2014 at a pub. He broke in looking for alcohol, said Mrs Kenny. She added, he tells me he has lost all his relationships through alcohol dependency. He wants you to know he wasn't always like this. He served in the military in Poland. He's much better when he's in work because he's distracted and he rids himself of the reliance on alcohol. Previously, he had worked in a food chain in Malvern, factories in Worcester, and has also worked in painting, plumbing and construction. He has been remanded in custody since November the 30th. He has very little to look forward to in life. His life is quite grim. He has no family, no support network, no one, she said. Judge Cartwright sentenced him to 18 months and six weeks in prison. He must pay a victim surcharge within three months of his release, which will be calculated administratively. And on Tuesday, March the 1st, the headline was Car Collides with Nursery. An electric car ploughed into a city nursery. A panel of the fence at Busy Bees Nursery in Brindley Road, Warnden, was demolished as car went through it into the playground on Sunday evening. Cones and police tape covered the gap in the fence. The building itself did not appear to be damaged. Staff at the nursery said they did not want to comment. An employee at the nearby Golden Dragon Cantonese takeaway said a lot of customers were talking about it. I was back here, so I didn't really see anything. I didn't hear a bang. They were saying a car had gone into the fence. The Warden Villages Community Group put a post on Facebook which said, Just been to Tesco Express. There were three fire engines and a police car. 
it would appear a car has managed to go through the wooden fence of the Busy Bees Nursery and ended up in their outdoor play area, just shy of the building. If it was an accident, I hope the occupants of the car are okay. Nobody was hurt in the incident. No arrests were made and no further action will be taken. A spokesman for the Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said, three Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service crews, two from Worcester and one from Droitwich, were called at 6.01pm on February the 27th to an RTC in Brindley Road, Warnden, where an electric car had collided with a building. Around 10 square metres of brick wall was damaged, Electrics to the vehicle were isolated and the scene made safe before the incident was left with police to await the arrival of a structural engineer. There were no casualties and the incident was marked closed at 7.14pm. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said police were called to Brindley Road in Worcester just after 5.45pm yesterday following a report of a car striking a building. There have been no arrests and no further action will be taken in relation to the incident. And the headline for Wednesday, March the 2nd reads Late Night Plan for City Taxi Rank. Proposal to make use of bus stop during evenings. And there is a, a photograph featured of Cathedral Square. Directions to Taxi Rank. A new taxi rank could be set up in the city centre under plans by the council. Worcester City Council is looking to use a bus stop next to the city centre's Cathedral Square as a late-night taxi rank following talks with drivers. If supported, the bus stop would be open every day to taxis between 8.30pm and 6am the following morning. The bus stop is already being used informally by taxi drivers in the city centre to wait for and pick up passengers after bus services have finished for the day. The existing, the existing rank near to Cathedral Square, which was moved to make way for the multi-million pound redevelopment, only has space for one taxi. Councillors are being asked to approve a 28-day public consultation into the plans and, if supported, save time by allowing the taxi rank to open before the committee meets again in June. A report, which will be discussed by the committee at a meeting next week, said This proposal will provide taxi ranking facilities at a location which is already currently being used by members of the taxi trade on an informal basis, as it has been identified that there is a large customer base. This will undoubtedly be, be of benefit to members of the travelling public, nighttime economy users, local businesses and Worcester's taxi trade. The provision of hackney carriage stands play an important part in ensuring that there are facilities for the supply and operation of taxis within the city and ensures adequate transport options for members of the public and the vulnerable in society in popular and useful locations throughout the city. West Mercia Police said it had raised concerns about the current informal taxi rank, saying it is unauthorised and officers would not like to see it continue unofficially. The area, now home to dozens of bars and restaurants, has drawn in more visitors since opening in 2017, which has resulted in a greater need for taxis, particularly late at night. 
The Council's Licensing and Environmental Health Committee meets from 7pm in the Guildhall on March the 7th. OK, so we're on to today's headline now and it's A Light Has Gone Out and there's a picture of a very happy little girl. Uh, an emotional dad has described how a great light has gone out of the world after his three-year-old daughter died. Paul Seven paid a heartbreaking tribute to daughter Daisy, who was born with Down syndrome, but was happy and healthy until she died this weekend, aged just three. Mr Seven from Worcester has written an emotional message to his daughter. He said, A great light has gone out of the world, and mine and your mama's lives. We are beyond sad and angry you're not here anymore. You were our miracle and you made our day shine with your games and your laughter, your smiles and your touch. It breaks us knowing we will never get to hear your voice or see you touch as many lives as you did. You fought and fought yesterday to the end and beyond. It's, it's still we are so, so proud. You never complained once whilst everyone in the hospital fought on for you and passed the limits until you were taken from us. He spoke out as part of a fundraiser launched in her memory. Organised by family friend Rosanna Stone, the money raised is for Daisy's parents, Sarah and Paul, to do with as they please, whether it goes towards the funeral or for a charitable donation. Rosanna Stone said, In her three years on this earth, Daisy spread more cheer and happiness than most do in a lifetime. She was and still is incredibly loved by all who knew her and even those who didn't have the pleasure of meeting her. Daisy's incredible parents, Sarah and Paul, spent every second of the last three years ensuring Daisy always got the care, attention and most importantly, the voice that she needed. And now it is our turn to look after them. I've started this GoFundMe to help and help make these difficult days a little easier in a very small way. The money raised will be used however the sevens feel fit. Whether that be towards Daisy's funeral, their lack of income through time off work, or for charitable donations. To see the fundraising page and donate, go to www.gofundme.com forward slash f forward slash help hyphen raise hyphen money hyphen to hyphen honour hyphen the hyphen life hyphen of hyphen daisy hyphen se okay so that's this week's headlines and now sandra's got a nice sports story for you this sports story is um from monday february the 28th and the headline is playoff hope city's valuable win Worcester City kept their playoff hopes alive with a 2-1 win away at Highgate United. There was a notable omission from the Blues' touchline in the form of manager Tim Harris, Craig Jones and Mike Fowler took on the reins in his absence. There was also a new addition for the playing side with Jude Hill joining from Kidderminster Harriers. The win sees City leapfrog Lie Town to fifth place in the Midlands Football League Premier. City had the first opportunity to go ahead. Ben Tilbury's edge of the box effort easily claimed by the Highgate keeper Rhys Francis within 10 minutes gone. However, didn't take the visitors long to take the lead. 
After latching onto a cross from Rice Taylor Randall, Callum Daybar was pulled down right on the edge of the box. Archie Muirhead calmly took the resulting free kick, rounding the wall to send the ball into the bottom corner with quarter of an hour played. City nearly extended their lead two minutes later when Bekir Halil picked out Muirhead at the front post, his effort going agonisingly wide. Before the half was over, City found themselves with another golden opportunity. Taylor Randall's cross once again finding Muirhead, who cut inside to set up Chinadu Osadebi. Unfortunately, Osadebi's effort did little to trouble the Highgate keeper. In the dying minutes of the half, the host saw penalty claimed turned down when Luke Shearer appeared to trip himself up in the city box and so it was the visitors who went in at the break the happier of the sides. Highgate started much brighter in the second half, winning a penalty with 54 minutes gone when Shearer took a tumble after going shoulder to shoulder with Daybar. Gates number nine stepped up to slot home the spot kick. Halil looked to hand City the lead once more as he took on the free kick won by Sam Witten, but his curling effort soared high over the bar. Straight after Highgate pressed the City defence, who stood strong before Fortune Mafoso was able to launch the ball deep into the opposition half. Muirhead was able to win the ball before playing inside to Tilbury, who quickly offloaded to Taylor Randall, who cut inside before shooting from the edge of the box, the ball taking a bobble as it passed Francis and into the back of the net. The hosts continued to press but were unable to get back into the game, leaving the Blues to come back to Clane's Lane with all three points. Lovely, thank you very much. And now we'll have some letters. Right, the letter I'm going to read is from Wednesday, March the 2nd, and it comes from some from Brian Daniels, National Spokesperson, Citizens, Citizens Commission on Human Rights in the United Kingdom. The number of patients suffering mental illness is increasing. Whether it relates to children, adolescents, adults or the elderly, there has been a constant stream of news stories in recent times referring to mental health. Any reference, however, to mental health has been inverted. The pessimistic narratives in the stories often relate to the difficulties experienced by people during these difficult times, but they don't focus on mental health. The stories focus on mental illness. There is an appalling irony that has surrounded the mental health sector for decades. Over the years, Psychiatry has continually called for more public funding, which continues to this day. While the investment has been forthcoming, psychiatry continues to report how the number of people suffering mental illness is increasing. For any other sector which reported what are essentially failings, public funding would be stopped or refused until that sector got its house in order and started producing effective, tangible results. Psychiatrists, however, blame the patient when things go wrong, rather than holding their hands up to the documented dangers associated with their prescribing habits or their use of electroconvulsive therapy, ECT. It's also important to recognise that historically, 
psychiatry has struggled to recruit doctors to the profession. Despite lengthy and extensive recruitment campaigns over the years, psychiatric vacancies are still a major concern. It's a given that medical doctors want to do something to help patients achieve recovery with a renewed ability to function in life. While psychiatrists may have a similar hope, their treatments produce a different story, causing more illness for the patient along with the potential of addiction to psychiatric drugs or brain damage as a result of ECT. Many people who have turned to psychiatry for help have ended up as lifelong patients. Treatment, whether voluntary or involuntary, hasn't worked. The concept of a cure for problems labelled as mental illness hasn't happened. In an act of compassion and empathy, doctors, whether in primary or secondary care, should be encouraged to help their day-to-day -day patients of all ages as they themselves would like to be helped, assisting them with real solutions and real medicine instead of referring them to psychiatry where cures are just wishful thinking. Yours faithfully, Ryan Daniels. And this letter is from on, was on Tuesday, March the 1st. New elections, not the answer. Worcester City Councillors have voted to go for an all-out election every four years, rather than election by thirds. They claim this will lead to more stability and better decision-making. But the election system is not for their benefit. It is for our benefit, as yearly elections help keep our politicians honest and accountable. In response to objections, the Labour group leader described them as red herrings. Of course, only having one election every four years is convenient for council leaderships. If they make a bad mistake or put unpopular policies into practice, they hope the voters will have forgotten by the time of the election years ahead. If, in the council leader's words, four yearly elections help councillors work better together, why are the Labour and Conservative local parties right now galvanising their activists by telling them it is vital to fight to win total control of the council? Unfortunately, national politics often greatly affects local elections. If the all-out election coincides with a temporary period of national unpopularity, one party could be almost wiped out. There would be wild swings of control hardly amounting to stability. So, welcome to opposition. If this recurs in four-year cycles, then it could be permanent opposition. Councillors don't seem to have thought of that. Yours faithfully, Francis Lancaster. The next letter is from Julie Reynolds in St John's. We are lucky to live in the UK. I take it that the COVID-19 pandemic is now over. The vaccine mandate is to be revoked on March the 15th and the mainstream media appear to have stopped obsessing about it. The newest scaremongering tactic is war. Anybody with a delicate constitution who was not terrorised into believing that they were going to be killed by a virus is now convinced that they are going to be blown sky-high by a nuclear bomb. London Mayor Sadiq Khan has helpfully told people that the capital is well prepared if Russia launches a nuclear attack. Will these zealots never stop? 
While I find the whole Russian, Russia invading the Ukraine business repulsive, there is absolutely nothing that ordinary people can do about it. And the only people who will suffer, as in all wars, are the minions. I don't profess to be an expert in politics, but it was and will always be thus. The rich and powerful will continue in their ultimate quest to control us all regardless, regardless of the consequences because we are expendable and they are all greedy megalomaniacs. We are lucky to live in the UK as we still have a largely liberal democracy, unlike many countries who are subjected to tyrannical leadership which most of us would find intolerable. And we should make sure that we do not take our eye off the ball because it could easily disappear if we are not vigilant. Yours sincerely, Julie Reynolds. This is about the road closures <clears throat> last week. Drivers caught up in gridlock on Friday afternoon must have wondered why, when they eventually reached Worcester city centre, so many roads, free of flood water, had not been reopened to traffic. Barriers were eventually removed late Friday, but why not much earlier? There were highway staff in the city centre and it would have been straightforward to remove barriers such as from St John's to Hilton Road via Tybridge Street northbound and the city bridge northbound to the Tithing. In fact, one person could have done the latter. And that was from Malcolm Robinson, a bus traveller. OK, yes. so we'll move on to the main stories now for the week. Um, and my first story is a statue gets to the point. So a monument to the victims of knife crime has arrived in Worcester. The Knife Angel, a 27-foot-tall statue made from more than 100,000 knives, will be on display in the city's Cathedral Square until the end of the month. Deansway was closed in the early hours of the morning yesterday, so that was Tuesday, as the imposing monument made its way to its new temporary home. Worcestershire Highway said the cost of the road closure was covered by contractors' ringway. The statue, made from blades confiscated by the UK's 43 police forces, has been on a nationwide tour since 2018. Worcester City Council and the West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner have worked to bring the statue to the city, which becomes the 18th place to host it. Viewing the Knife Angel up close, you can see the names of knife crime victims written on some of the blades that make up the monument. At the base of the statue, which was made by the British Ironworks Centre in Oswestry, is a knife amnesty bin. There is also a book of condolence that visitors are invited to sign. Superintendent Rebecca Love, West Mercia Police Superintendent for Worcester and South Worcestershire, said, A priority for all our officers and staff in Worcester is to protect people from harm and reduce the instances of knife-related crime. An official unveiling of the statue will take place, well, took place yesterday, and there is a programme of events taking place throughout the month, including a youth day on Saturday, March the 19th, and a visual for the victims of knife crime on Wednesday, March the 30th. I also know that the Samaritans will be there as well. Um, Daniel Parnell, Director of Learning and Community Involvement at Worcester Cathedral, said, The vision of the project to redevelop the Undercroft into a learning centre is to create a place available for the community of Worcester to learn 
together. Therefore, it is fulfilment of this vision to host sessions supporting the Knife Angel's objective to create social change and raise awareness of the effects of violent crime. Pregnant women still shunning the COVID vaccine. Most women are still shunning COVID-19 vaccines in pregnancy despite an increased chance of stillbirth, premature birth and risks to their own health, analysis shows. Data from the Nuffield Department of Population Health at the University of Oxford shows 73% of Asian women, 86% of black women and 65% of white women were unvaccinated at the time of giving birth in October 2021. The charity Wellbeing of Women, which funded the study with the National Institute for Health Research, called for urgent action to address stark racial and social inequalities among pregnant women. The study found that severe COVID-19 infection in pregnant women, particularly in the third trimester, significantly increased the risk of giving birth early, having an induction or a caesarean, having a stillborn baby or a baby that needed intensive care. In the UK, an estimated 1.1 million women gave birth between March 1st, 2020 and October 31st last year. Overall, 4,436 pregnant women were admitted to hospital with COVID during this period in the UK, of whom 65% had mild disease, 21% had moderate illness and 14% had severe infection. Some 77% of all the women were in their third trimester of pregnancy. Of the 1,761 women whose vaccination status was recorded in this group from when vaccines became available, 97% were unvaccinated, 2% had received their first dose and 1% had received two doses. During the study period, 22 women died with severe COVID-19 during pregnancy, 59 babies were stillborn and 10 babies died around the time of birth. Those women at greatest risk were over 30 from black, Asian or other minority ethnicity backgrounds, were obese or had other health conditions such as gestational diabetes and high blood pressure. The study also found that 82% of women from the most deprived areas of the country were unvaccinated at the time of birth, compared with 52% of those in the least deprived areas. Professor Marion Knight from Oxford University, who led the study, said, While vaccination rates are increasing, it is concerning that pregnant women who are at most risk of severe infection are among the communities least likely to be vaccinated before giving birth. And the next story is in a column by Dave Bradley, titled Blowing in the Wind. My words this week come from the rugged coast of Carmarthenshire, and trust me, this week has been rugged. Since our arrival, we've had the tail end of Storm Dudley, all of Eunice and all of Franklin, and it has been blowy. Walking on the beaches and coast paths against the wind has been an effort and standing up with the wind behind has been a fine balancing act. Is it my imagination? But were storms less fierce before we started naming them? 
By the time you read this, we will be back in the flooded Shire and looking at the pictures. It's a terrible mess. I think someone said in 2020 it was a once in a 50 years flood, and we seem to have had one every year since. The pictures of New Road do not bode well for the start of the home season in April, but they have sorted it all out at the ground before, and no doubt will be confident of doing it again. Have to say, well done to Warriors for their tribute to Jack Jeffrey last Friday night. To see his family and Evesham teammates on the pitch before the game was very emotional, and he will be remembered at Twickenham today before the England versus Wales game. I know the Jeffrey family were overwhelmed by the response of the Warriors staff and players before, during, and after the game, and those Evesham lads sat near us certainly celebrated Jack's life. While having a most enjoyable time in Wales, I will not be sorry to be back home for the big game at Twickenham. Some years ago, we were in the Principality when Wales thrashed England in Cardiff. Quite rightly, it was headline news the next day, but it was still headline news on Monday and Tuesday. That's what it means to to the Welsh to beat the old enemy. Due respect to all my Welsh friends. Late. Let's hope it's all quiet tomorrow. The new Batman film is just days away, or seconds if you're counting like a true superfan, and the excitement is rising to epic levels. If you're anything like me, eagerly anticipating the release of DC's The Batman this Friday, then your eyes will have been glued to social media to see any trailers in preparation for the film. During my evenings of scrolling through Twitter and TikTok, I came across a video showing how you could get a taste of the action with a mystery-flavoured hot chocolate available at Cafe Nero. The cafe is offering a drink, branded with a Riddler-style question mark, with a chance to guess the flavour as a way of promoting the new superhero epic. I knew I had to try it, and judging by the number of TikTok likes, I'm not the only one. I made my way down to Worcester's Cafe Nero on Broad Street and was greeted outside by promotional posters showing the drink. Despite sitting in, I asked the barista for the drink to be in a takeaway cup like in the TikTok and the design did not disappoint. The disposable cap has a silhouette of Batman on a red backdrop on one side and Cafe Nero's logo in the film's text with a picture of the Riddler's signature question mark symbol. I took my seat and removed the plastic lid to see the perfectly formed question mark in chocolate dust. Before tasting, I tried to smell the drink to see if I could detect any strong scents to help me work out the mystery flavour, but was met purely with the smell of sweet hot chocolate. After taking my first sip, my head was flooded with potential flavourings like chai, vanilla gingerbread... I found the drink to have a deep malted flavour, similar to a malted milk biscuit, with a sweet aftertaste of cherry. Malted cherry was the guess I submitted to the website. It was an enjoyable bit of light entertainment in preparation for the film. Matt Reeves the Batman follows a series of murders from a serial killer known as the Riddler, which leads Batman on a gritty trail throughout Gotham City following the killer's clues. The film is due to be released on Friday the 4th of March with Ogin and View holding midnight screenings for die-hard fans. The Queen holds weekly call with Boris. 
The Queen has held her weekly telephone audience with the Prime Minister despite having COVID-19, Buckingham Palace said. The monarch, aged 95, who tested positive for coronavirus on Sunday, cancelled virtual audiences on Tuesday the 22nd as she continued to suffer from mild cold-like symptoms. A Buckingham Palace spokesman said, Her Majesty did speak to the Prime Minister this evening. There will have been much to discuss during the conversation with Boris Johnson on Wednesday evening, with the government dealing with the Russian attack on Ukraine. Mr Johnson is also embroiled in the Partygate saga, with the Metropolitan Police investigating a dozen events, including as many as six which the PM reportedly attended. The Queen's advanced age, Covid diagnosis, frailer appearance and recent health scare mean her medical team will be keeping a close eye on her progress, but being well enough to speak to the Prime Minister will be taken as an encouraging sign. It is understood the Queen previously also had a separate planned in-person audience in the diary for Wednesday, but this was cancelled on Monday in keeping with Covid isolation guidelines. The nation's longest reigning monarch, who will have been triple vaccinated, recently spent more than three months resting on doctor's orders. In the autumn, she pulled out of attending the COP26 climate change summit, the Festival of Remembrance and then the Remembrance Sunday Cenotaph service due to a sprained back. She also missed the Church of England's General Synod. The Queen now regularly uses a walking stick and has been pictured looking frailer recently. She remarked during a Windsor Castle audience last week, well, as you can see, I can't move. Next week, the Head of State has a major engagement on March the 2nd when she is due to host the diplomatic reception and meet hundreds of dignitaries at Windsor. Mr Johnson is the 14th Prime Minister of the Queen's long reign. The pair have held their weekly audiences, which follow Prime Minister's questions in the Commons, by telephone for much of the pandemic, with the monarch usually seated in her oak room, sitting room, taking the call on an old-fashioned phone. Mr Johnson and the Queen started holding phone discussions on March the 18th, 2020, ahead of the first lockdown. Their first in-person meeting during the pandemic was not until June the 23rd, 2021. And the next story is titled Lighting Up the City Nights. Hundreds of people gathered in the city centre to celebrate Light Night Worcester 2022. The event, run by the Arches Worcester Festivals, featured a wide array of performers, art installations and illuminations. The firm favourite for many visitors seemed to be the silent disco in Crowngate Car Park. Floors 5 and 6 were turned into a makeshift club, where the public could pick up a pair of headphones and dance underneath the strobe lights and smoke machines. Ellen Flannery of Middle Street said, I really like the silent disco in the car park. I think this light night is probably one of the best we've seen in Worcester. Each time it comes to Worcester, it seems to get better. On the high street, the art installation, Spin Me a Yarn, was a key spot for photo opportunities. The Guildhall had an eight-metre-long inflatable robot snail that was another favourite for the crowds. 
From the top of Cathedral Square and travelling down the high street, a performance called The Lips by Puppets with Guts was also a favourite for the attendees. Three skilled puppeteers controlled large pairs of lips, dancing and miming along to the music. The high street also saw the, go, the glow bros taking selfies with the public. And Angel Place had music and dancing from D Jukebox and the Disco Heads. One of the most dazzling installations was located at the Old Palace, opposite the road from the Cathedral Square. Visitors walked alongside the cathedral where red strobe lights guided you through the courtyard of the old palace. Upon entering, hundreds of hanging lights, choreographed, greeted the public and visitors were allowed to walk amongst the lights to create a fully immersive experience. Pump Street served as the home for a unique neon exhibit featuring a balloon animal art installation. David Edmonds, festival artistic director, said, We are pleased to be able to present another festival programme of high-quality work created by incredible international artists. Our aim is to bring people together to enjoy the playful moments we have created and amass smiles, and we've certainly achieved this. A decision to allow an appeal for a shop that was fined for opening in lockdown has split readers. Alistair Walker-Cox, proprietor of Grace Cards and Books in Droitwich, was found to have breached the rules during the second lockdown in November 2020 and on two occasions in February and March last year. He was fined £35,000 and ordered to pay more than £9,000 in court costs last August. But on Friday, February 25th, a Worcester Crown Court judge allowed the appeal against conviction and sentence. Mr Walker-Cox said it was a massive relief it was all over, adding him and wife Lydia had been through a lot. Since we reported the news, there has been a mixed reaction from readers across social media. Eve Marshall said, Good to hear it. I'll make a special effort to become one of their customers. Edward Andy wrote, Absolutely brilliant stuff. Well done, guys. Liz Taylor said, Great news. Only right and fair. Now return everyone else's fines too. But Andy Taylor said, A poke in the eye to all those who followed the guidelines and shut their shops. And Jake Jeff added, What a kick in the teeth for everyone who followed the rules. Richard Edwards said, Cards and chocolates are not essential, so they should have closed. Geraldine Duggan wrote, If Boris broke the rules, it helped with their case. Don't matter if the folks that abided by the rules and couldn't see family. Danielle Lane added, Might be a kick in the teeth for everyone else, but you can't be angry at the card shop. Boris didn't follow his rules, so why should they get fined? The case was originally brought by Witchhaven District Council, and after the judgment, the authorities' leader, Councillor Bradley Thomas, said, We respect the judge's decision and will await his written judgment with interest. We are pleased the judge made it clear there was no criticism of us for bringing the case or that we had done anything improper by doing so. Flying visit on track. The Flying Scotsman's visit to Worcester has been rescheduled for early next month. The celebrated steam locomotive was meant to have brought day trippers to the city last Saturday. 
with crowds of people likely to have greeted the train as it rolled into Shrub Hill Station. But the trip was cancelled the night before after heavy rain and strong winds brought by Storm Eunice caused the disruption on railways across the country. Tour operator, the Railway Touring Company, has now updated its website to say that the Scotsman will be appearing at Shrub Hill on Saturday, March the 5th. And when I said next month, that was because this actually was from... um, Friday, February the 25th paper. So it's on Saturday, March the 5th. The locomotive will be pulling steam train, the Cotswold Venturer, and is due to set out from Paddington Station in London at 7.15am. As long as the weather does not intervene again, passengers will enjoy scenic views from Oxfordshire and the Cotswolds before spending a few hours exploring historic Worcester. The return journey will be different, taking passengers through Cheltenham and the picturesque Stroud Valley before joining the X Great Western Main Line on the way back to London. The Flying Scotsman was built in 1923 at Doncaster Works, the first lo- locomotive of the newly formed London and North Eastern Railway, LNER. It was officially the first locomotive to reach 100 miles an hour, as well as being the first to circumnavigate the globe. It also holds the world record for a non-stop run in a steam locomotive set in 1989 with a 442-mile trip. The name Flying Scotsman came from the daily London to Edinburgh service that started in 1862, while it was an appearance at the 1924 British Empire exhibition that made the locomotive famous. The Scotsman last visited Worcester in 2019, when crowds of people enjoyed seeing it up close at Shrub Hill Station, while many others waiting on railway bridges and other vantage points along its route. The next story features a large photograph of a beautiful field and a picture of a white-clawed crayfish. The headline being, Nature Fear Over Homes. Nature lovers are up in arms over a proposal to build 130 homes on land rich in wildlife. More than 160 people have responded to plans to build the homes on Newland Grange. Many have objected to the plan, saying it is a species-rich, rare grassland with a high biodiversity of national importance. The site in Malvern is home to wildlife, including red kites, greenfinches and swifts, which are a high conservation priority. Dr Duncan Westbury, a lecturer in ecology and environmental management at Worcester University, is concerned about what the proposal means for biodiversity on a national scale. Dr Westbury explained that Newland Grange has a six hectares of of species-rich land and that only half a hectare of this type of land is needed for it to be designated a site of special scientific interest. He said the fact that we've got six makes this not only locally important but nationally important. Throughout Europe, there's not much of that type of landscape left, so it's also nationally important. He continued, The response is amazing, and it's unprecedented as far as I'm aware for Malvern Hills District Council. 
It's because we're in this biodiversity emergency and people are saying enough is enough. Keith Falconer, who runs the Malvern Hills Crayfish Group, said, There has been a great threat to our nat native white-clawed crayfish from the invasive alien species called the signal crayfish, which was introduced into Europe many years ago, but was only brought to the UK in the 1980s. The signal crayfish carries a deadly fungus that has now wiped out the white-clawed crayfish in many of the river systems of our country. Recently, a thriving population in the wire forest near Kidderminster suffered this fate, and so the few crayfish that survive in the brooks around Malvern are probably the last wild crayfish in Worcestershire. Councillor Sarah Rouse, portfolio holder for, for the environment at Malvern Hills District Council, said, As with all planning applications, this will be evaluated by taking all relevant impacts into account, including biodiversity. Ecological reports and assessments will be required from the applicant and we will consult with a member of the environmental organisations, including Natural England and the Worcestershire Wildlife Trust. The Worcestershire Freemasons have helped donate money to COVID relief efforts. Working with the United Grand Lodge of England, Worcestershire Freemasons started collecting donations in 2020. The county's donations have helped towards a national total of £4.7 million to help those in need. Help includes food banks, support for unpaid carers, PPE, homelessness, hospital supplies and funds for the NHS. Worcestershire Freemasons helped to provide essentials to vulnerable people and those that were shielding, activity packs for isolated older people and young children, along with podcast recordings for those affected by vision impairment. They also donated care packages for care home and NHS staff, hardship grants for those in need, home comforts for COVID-19 patients and transport and equipment for medical professionals responding in the community. In addition, at least 141,150 visors and face masks have been donated alongside more than 3,000 sets of scrubs and gowns to hospitals, care settings and hospices. Also, more than 130,000 meals have been provided for those in need and approximately 60 food banks have been supported. Dr David Staples, Chief Executive of the UGLE, uh, -E, said, During these last two years, we set out to donate at least £3 million to COVID-related causes and we have exceeded our expectations by donating almost £5 million. It is with great pride that I see all Freemasons have rolled up their sleeves and worked hard to do their best and help those most in need. Our response to the pandemic shows what Freemasonry is all about, supporting those in need, giving back to our communities and volunteering where it can make a real difference. Freemasons have been doing this for more than 300 years and I am proud of the time and commitment that our members have given to support the nation in its fight against COVID-19. It's like a racetrack. 
a mum of two concerned about speeding and people being distracted by phones while driving around Warnden villages wants help to start a campaign. Beth Pickess says poor driving on the estate was getting so out of hand that parents were having concerns when walking around with toddlers, fearing they could be hit by a car. The Barclay Pendersham resident said, So many people are texting while driving. Everybody is speeding as well. I just feel like there needs to be some kind of campaign to make roads safer places. The 31-year-old, who has two daughters aged one and two, said she was more aware of the problem after she was in a head-on crash with her husband David, aged 32, and one of her children in Northamptonshire in 2020. That did frighten me, Mrs Piquet said. My husband was injured in the crash. He got deep vein thrombosis in his leg. I had whiplash. We had a life plan. We wanted to move, but everything got turned on its head. I just don't think people realise. They don't take it seriously enough. We have lived here for five years. It has definitely got worse. It's like a racetrack. People don't stick to the speed limit. People tear around the roads. They even go around roundabouts the wrong way. I don't know if I also notice it more after having the children. We need zebra crossings, speed bumps, traffic calming measures that would slow traffic and keep people's eye on the road. Mrs Pickass said she wanted to get in touch with like-minded people on the estate to find a way to build up momentum for a campaign for action. The problem is I need people's health to ca- help, help to campaign as I have so little time to be able to do it all by myself with two toddlers, she added. A post from Mrs Pickers on social media about her concerns has also been getting support. One resident writing would definitely support this. I find it shocking how few crossing points there are. So tricky with small children. A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council said, Road safety continues to be one of the top priorities for the County Council and we work with our police colleagues to ensure all roads in Worcestershire have appropriate measures in place to remain safe. The Council takes on board any comments and suggestions from residents so that these can be considered further and individual areas are regularly reviewed based on their concerns. The Warnden Village's development has an excellent record in terms of road safety but we will continue to monitor this going forward. And the next headline... Councillor quits seat after less than a year. A Conservative city councillor has quit less than a year after being elected. Tory and former UKIP MEP Jim Carver, who was only elected to Worcester City Council in May last year, has announced he has now quit the Guildhall, saying changes in his work life means he can no longer commit to the role. His successor will be chosen when voters go to the polls in local elections in Worcester in May. Announcing his resignation, Mr Carver said, As I approach new opportunities in my working life, I realise that I won't be able to fulfil my council duties as I desire. Furthermore, standing down now, ahead of May's local elections, saves an unnecessary expense or burden on the taxpayer as my replacement will be elected at the same time as the forthcoming local elections in May. Alongside former UKIP candidate Owen Cleary, 
Mr Carver helped overturn the long-held Labour stronghold on two council seats in the Warnden and Nunnery wards in Covid-hit elections in May last year. Mr Carver, who runs an umbrella-making business, had also unsuccessfully run as the Conservative candidate in the city's Rainbow Hill division for a place on Worcestershire County Council last May, losing out to Labour's Lynn Denham. The victory for Mr Carver in the City Council's nunnery ward, which came 30, 332 votes ahead of Labour, helped push the Conservatives towards an overall majority of one in the Guildhall, cementing Tory Chief Councillor Mark Bayliss's position as Council Leader. Speaking after the surprise resignation, Councillor Bayliss said... Jim has been a valued colleague whose life is taking him in a different direction and he doesn't wish to be unable to give his councillor role the attention he knows it requires. I respect his decision and wish him the best of luck in the future. Mr Carver served as one of the West Midlands MEPs for UKIP from 2014 until he quit the party in 2018 before finishing the final year of his five-year term as an independent. Worcester MP Robin Walker said, I know that Jim has worked hard on behalf of local residents and I wish him well for the future. Superhero RSPCA volunteers needed. The RSPCA is looking to recruit a specialist team of volunteer superheroes to get up close, personal and hands-on with wildlife in West Mercia. A new drive to expand its team of dedicated wildlife casualty volunteers, or WCVs, has been launched by the Animal Welfare Charity, with WCVs offering invaluable support on the front line in protecting sick, injured and orphaned wildlife. The RSPCA has relaunched its recruitment drive for WCVs across West Mercia as animal lovers celebrate World Wildlife Day today. Thursday, March 3rd. WCVs collect sick, injured or orphaned birds and small mammals and transport them to RSPCA wildlife centres, external wildlife rehabilitators or appropriate veterinary establishments, acting as first responders for the charity. The volunteers also help release rehabilitated wildlife back into the environment from which they were rescued something which can be incredibly rewarding for those passionate about animal welfare. WCVs play a key role in the RSPCA's mission to protect animals, attending to 1,248 collections of animals since the start of 2021. However, the RSPCA needs WCVs in West Mercia and hopes to increase its capacity in the region to support its inspectorate and ensure more wild animals in need could be reached as quickly as possible. RSPCA Chief Inspector Kelly Lake said, Our wildlife casualty volunteers are our first responders, offering crucial support and help to wildlife by transporting them for life-saving rehabilitation. Across England and Wales, our WCVs have helped us collect over 1,200 wild animals since the start of 2021 but we're looking to recruit even more to support our animal rescue teams to help even more animals in need. It's an incredibly rewarding role, providing a lifeline to animals 
and even helping release them back to the wild after periods of rehabilitation and care. In West Mercia, we urgently need more of these superhero first responders to volunteer with us. So we're really hoping anyone interested in getting up close to our beautiful wildlife and transporting them to centres for urgent rehabilitation and care will apply to join this amazing team. The RSPCA says the role is a unique opportunity to help animals on the front line and some WCVs have gone on to work for the RSPCA's inspectorate. Inspector Richard Carr spent 18 months volunteering on weekends as a WCV before later becoming a full-time RSPCA inspector. He said, I've always been interested in wildlife and was keen to get involved with the RSPCA, so volunteering as a WCV was a unique opportunity. I learned so much and it really confirmed my passion and interest in animal welfare. Whenever I was volunteering, I was always so struck by the passion the public had for wildlife and it was great to be able to do my bit to help, from collecting injured birds to releasing hedgehogs and so much more. I had a little bit of spare time on the weekends and learned so much in the role. It also provided really u- sorry, it also proved really useful when I went into work for the RSPCA permanently too first as an animal collection officer and now as an inspector. WCVs will need to be able to drive and have access to their own vehicle. They will also need their own smartphone. However, all other kit and training will be provided by the RSPCA and relevant expenses incurred will also be reimbursed. Volunteers will also be kitted out with a professionally fitted face mask due to zoonotic disease risks associated with collecting some species of wildlife. And this is from the books section. Dark times give author inspiration. Droitwich author Cheryl Brown's latest novel is published this week and the subject matter was one for which she drew on her own experiences. The psychological thriller The Invite followed a dark period in the author's life which left her with a particular interest in those who would deliberately set out to deceive, as in fact she has been. Her interest in writing about those who would set out to deceive was not only sparked by her own experiences, but also by the BBC TV drama The Serpent, a story of how con man and murderer Charles Sobrey posing as a gem dealer, was eventually caught. Cheryl says, in regards to that period of her life, emerging from a relationship and without the tools in place to cope, I think, can be particularly daunting. I was that person. I'd lost a child. I realised there were debts that would need me to perform miracles to pay off. I didn't have the money to pay for my child's funeral, let alone any ideas how I would keep the roof over my little boy's head. It almost broke me. It didn't. I survived. I had to. The thing is, I did it by hiding my anxiety. I took on various courses, psyched myself up for job interviews, pretended to be confident. I wonder, did that make me an imposter? It didn't. With age comes wisdom, and I know that now. Still, 
Though I find it difficult to admit that there was a dark period in my life or even talk about it without feeling I might be judged, that would be my anxiety at play. Having also read an article which highlighted the highly secret policy of infiltrating political groups to gain intelligence, leading to women unknowingly having relationships and even even children with undercover officers, the nucleus for the invite began to form and Cheryl set out researching the subject of stolen identities. The invite is out now, published by Bookature, and is available from Amazon, Apple Books, Kobo and Google Play. Cheryl is a member of the Crime Writers Association and the Romantic Novelists Association. Her previous works include the D.I. Matthew Adams crime thriller series, along with contemporary fiction novels, The Rest of My Life and Learning to Love. The next article comes from the weekend edition and features some in um, engineering history, local history in Worcester. And it's called Engineering Place. Worcester's Mecco factory in Bromyard Road will be forever remembered as the victim of the Nazis' only significant bombing raid on the city during the Second World War. On a dark day in October 1940, a lone German aircraft unloaded its deadly cargo, killing seven employees and injuring 50 more, three seriously. The complex features again in a new booklet entitled Doughty Days Remembered by Martin Robbins which covers the rise and development of the engineering group founded by Sir George Doughty. Doughty acquired Higgins Broughton Industries and its principal subsidiary, Mecco, the Mining Engineering Company, in 1968 and owned it until a management buyout in in 1989. Sir George, who died in 1975, Having moved to the Isle of Man from Cheltenham, was the archetypal post-war business boss. Always immaculately dressed, smooth-haired and expensively motored, he oozed top corridor business authority. Yet he came from humble beginnings and was was admired by his workforce. Born in Pershaw, he lost the sight of his right eye when a boy making fireworks and after attending Worcester Royal Grammar School, left at the age of 15 to take up a job as an apprentice at Heenan and Froude at its factory in the city. In 1918, he became a draftsman with the British Aerial Transport Company in London in 1931. Sorry, in 1931, set up his own company in Cheltenham, making aircraft equipment and the town remained his base. The war years were undoubtedly good for business. His stock rose and in 1956 George Doughty was knighted for his services to industry. Among a clutch of positions he held were President of the Royal Aeronautical Society, President of the Worcestershire County Cricket Club and President of the Worcester Old Elizabethans Association, the Old Boys Association of WRGS. He supported many causes in and around his hometown of Pershaw and received the freedom of the borough of Cheltenham and Tewkesbury. For 28 years, long after Sir George died, the Doughty name was a familiar one in the Worcester 
industrial scene, employing hundreds of skilled local workers. Among planned tributes to Sir George in Cheltenham, there is also a proposal to have a gathering for ex-Doughty Mecco employees in Worcester. Watch this space. The book, Doughty Days Remembered, costs £10 and can be ordered from the author, Martin Robbins, at Martin Robbins, that's Martin Robbins with one B, Martin Robbins at btinternet.com. Okay, this is a story, and I only heard about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, Popular Puffs Retiring. A sad goodbye has been bid to a very special honorary member of Garden Centre staff who is set for the Power Effect retirement. Customers are bidding a fond farewell to beloved cat pudding after 10 years at St Peter's Garden Centre. The black and white cat has been a firm fixture at the garden centre on Norton Road but will now enjoy her retirement at the home of an employee. People have loved seeing her wander through the centre, resting, resting in between the flowers or lying on the furniture. There's been an outpouring of love for pudding after the announcement was made on social media. A staff member Sophie Eggleton said, As many of you know, we have had pudding, our resident cat, for around 10 years. She has brought so much joy and love to our staff and to customers. We have some sad but happy news to share with you. We would like to wish Pudding happy retirement as she has been lucky enough to go home to one of our employees to spend the rest of her life in the warm. Our garden centre is definitely a lot quieter without you purring away, normally sat on our furniture. She thanked customers for all the gifts and love given to her over the years. Miss Eggleton and other staff members used to feed Pudding and keep her healthy. She had been a main feature of the animals at St Peter's Garden Centre Instagram page, which has over 300 followers. Customers have been sharing their sadness that the news pudding would no longer be wandering around the garden centre, but there was also delight that she's found a happy home with the member of staff. Replying to the announcement, one customer wrote, So sad to read this. Always look forward to seeing Pud asleep somewhere in the centre, but wish Pud a peaceful, happy retirement. Another customer said, so glad to hear Pudding will have a comfortable retirement. We often used to see her near our home in Norton before she packed her bags and moved into the garden centre. Apparently, the owner could never get this cat to actually come back home again and it just spent so much time in the garden centre that they just like said, OK, have her, take her, because you feed her and look after her and she never wants to come home anyway. So now she's retired. There you go. Um, medical admissions. The University of Worcester's Three Counties Medical School will be accepting its first 20 students in September. School, which is part of the University of Worcester, will begin to admit students after securing a £1 million grant from the Kildare Trust and £1.7 million in grants from the NHS in Gloucestershire, Herefordshire and Worcestershire. The funding, combined with student loans for the maximum £9,250 fee, will be just enough to meet the education costs of 20 UK students for the four years it will take to gain their degrees. Worcester MP Robin Walker said, 
I have long campaigned for and strongly supported the case for Worcester to have its own medical school, and I am convinced that today's announcement is a major step forward, not only for our NHS but for future generations of Worcestershire medics. It costs a minimum of £40,000 each year to educate a postgraduate medical student, £160,000 in total, using the nationally agreed NHS rates. Half this total is devoted to the costs of the on-the-job training in hospital wards, GP surgeries and health settings, while the other half pays for the education at medical schools across the country. Students also need grants and loans for maintenance whilst they are studying full-time. Professor David Green, the Vice-Chancellor and Chief Executive of the University, said We're very grateful to our NHS partners and the Kildare Trust for providing this vital grant grant funding to allow UK students to be educated here in the three counties. Simon Trickett, Chief Executive of NHS Herefordshire and Worcestershire, CCG, said, we're delighted to be able to do something to address the shortage of local doctors and we'll continue to work with national bodies to encourage additional investment in local training places. Ian Smith, chairman of the Kildare Trust, added, the trustees are delighted to have been able to provide this grant along with a substantial sum as a permanent endowment for the three counties medical centre. In July 2020, Worcester received the largest allocation of additional places for health professional students in the UK, educating an extra 400 nurses, midwives, physiotherapists and occupational therapists. The university is developing the former Worcester News Building in Hilton Road into a multi-million pound health and well-being centre. The street lamp was ripped off its fixings due to recent high winds of 60 miles per hour from Storm Eunice, Storm Dudley and Storm Franklin and had fallen to the ground. The damage was reported by a member of the public last Friday but when Worcestershire County Council's contractor, Prismium, went to the bridge at 4.30 to collect the lantern, it had gone. The lamps were made at Hardy and Padmore in Worcester a firm known around the country for its ironwork. Its foundry in the blockhouse by the canal closed in 1967, but examples of its work can still be found around the city, including the lanterns on the bridge and the fountain in Cripplegate Park. Anyone with knowledge of the lantern is being asked to get in touch with the County Council as soon as possible. We reported last year on plans to refurbish and preserve the historic lanterns which had been lighting up the bridge for almost 100 years. The renovations were to include the stripping back of years of previous paintwork to the original brass finish and fitting fitting new LED lamps to reduce the energy consumption and ongoing maintenance costs. The first set of renovated street lanterns were due to be reinstalled on the bridge early this year. Okay, uh, Worcester's MP has denied accepting money from Russian donors after being accused of it on social media. Robin Walker MP has spoken out after his name was included on a list shared on Twitter by a former MP. Ian Lucas, a former MP for Wrexham, 
made the accusation in a tweet saying, You have to ask why, when Russian link donations were made to them, none of these MPs questioned why. The tweet was then shared by the former Labour MP for Worcester Mike Foster. Mr Walker said, The reality is I have never received any funding from a Russian company or a Russian individual. The donation that has been brought into question was made by a UK citizen who works for a UK company and is actually of Ukrainian descent. Not only is Alexander Tomurko Ukrainian-born, but he has also widely spoken out against Vladimir Putin on a multitude of different occasions. Newcastle Offshore Limited, of which he was the former director, is who provided the donation, and they as a company have nothing at all to do with Russia. I think it is critically important that people are not misled. People seem to have heard or read a name they thought seemed Russian and have made this conclusion without the facts. The list shows that Mr Walker allegedly received a total of £5,000 from the donation. The highest singular alleged total on the funding list was £48,000 awarded to the MP for Great Yarmouth. Mr Tomurko is a British citizen who was born in Ukraine, which at the time was the former Soviet Union, and is a known benefactor of the Conservative Party. The list seems to have largely been compiled from information sourced from the website theyworkforyou.com. Edwin William Macy passed away peacefully and without pain on 12th of February 2022, aged 78 years, much-loved husband, father and grandfather. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 7th of March at 1 o'clock. Please wear a splash of colour if you would like. Graham Charles Alcock. It is with great sadness that we have to announce Graham Alcock passed away suddenly at home on Sunday the 13th of February 2022 at the age of 70. A wonderful devoted husband, a loving father, grandfather and brother. He will be greatly missed. Respects can be paid during his funeral service at Worcester Crematorium at 1.45pm on Friday the 4th of March at 2022. Anne Veronica Havas, aged 87 years, sadly passed away at Richmond Village's Wood Norton, Eversham on Tuesday the 25th of January 2022. Loving mum to Stephanie, Graham and Nick, Anne will be sadly missed by all of her family and friends. A service to celebrate Anne's life will take place at Redditch Crematorium on Wednesday the 16th of March 2022 at 12.30pm. Raymond Baldwin, ex-Metal Box, passed away peacefully in hospital knowing how much he was loved on the 19th of February 2022, aged 96 years. Much loved husband to the late Maureen and loving father to Colin and Angela, Ray will be greatly missed by all his family and friends. Funeral service at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Thursday, March the 17th at 12 noon. Trevor John Gardner passed away suddenly on the 19th of February 2022. Retired Worcester Postman. Funeral to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 10th of March 2022 at 9.30am.
Harold J passed away peacefully in Hereford Hospital on the 13th of February 2022, aged 94 years. Sadly missed by all his family and friends. Funeral service to take place at Martley Church on Wednesday the 9th of March 2022 at 12.30pm, followed by an interment in the churchyard. Alice Patricia Lloyd sadly passed away on Tuesday the 1st of February 2022, aged 88 years. Beloved wife to the late John, a dearly loved mother to Merrill and Peter, a loving mother-in-law of Ian and Alex, and a treasured granny to David, Samantha and William. Service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 10th of March at 2.30pm, followed by a gathering at the county ground, Worcester. Peter Michael Parkinson passed away peacefully at Perry Manor Care Home on Friday the 11th of February 2022, aged 77 years. He will be sadly missed by his family and friends, but is reunited with his wife Carol and oldest daughter Jo. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 16th of March 2022 at 11.30am. Ruby Francis Stinton, nay Price, passed away peacefully at Henrik Grange Care Home, Worcester, on 17th of February 2022, aged 92 years. Loving mother to Michael and daughter-in-law Anne, she will be sadly missed by all her family and friends. The funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 18th of March 2022 at 11.30am. Patricia Ann Doughty passed away peacefully on the 7th of February 2022, beloved wife of Robert, loving mother and mother-in-law to Jem and Nicola and Chris and Angela, and a much-loved nan to Thomas, James and William. The funeral service will take place at St Barnabas Church on Monday, March the 14th at 12.15, followed by interment at Aswood Cemetery. <laughs> 